to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannonia Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. I am here with Subir Sahu, Senior Vice President for Student Success here at Drexel University and Intercontinental Champion of Student Success. <laughs> I would hope I'd be world champion. I mean, not just Intercontinental <laughs> Champion, but person who cried when Andre the Giant was attacked on Saturday night's main event in the mid-80s. Oh, oh no! Andre the Giant being kicked in the back! Double team effort now! Dunyan powering away into the crack sternum he suffered some months ago. Look at Big John Stark. And, you know, like everybody, he's just trying to get through these hard times. And we're here to talk about wrestling, specifically The Undertaker and everything in between. So thanks for hanging out with me, Sabir. Well, thank you. I'm excited. I've wanted to talk about wrestling for such a long time because... I don't want to say like everything is wrestling, but like everything is wrestling. So I'm like, let's start with like wrestling in general. When did your eyes light up with amusement and delight? (laughs) I can honestly say this. I don't remember any time in my life where wrestling wasn't somehow a part of it, even going back to before I was born. So I'm the youngest of three and I'm the son of immigrant parents who immigrated here to the United States from India. Uh, When my older brother was born, uh, that was the mid seventies. Uh, they, they at the time lived in North Carolina. My father was a postdoc at Duke University. And the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, National Wrestling Alliance in the Carolinas at that time was a huge, huge thing. And I'm not sure how or why, but my father really got into it. And so I kind of came along with it. And I really got into the Rocky movie series. And mm-hmm. Rocky Three came out when I was a young child and Hulk Hogan was in Rocky Three. All right, you guys, you know this is for fun. So take it easy and give them a good show. Listen, uh, after the match, how about uh, we get a Polaroid together, okay? Uh, you're in trouble. Man. I'm gonna break him in half like this. Seems like lately everybody wants to beat me up. You know, I think I also got caught up in that whole rock and wrestling, MTV, WWF connection, Hulk Hogan because of his connection to Rocky. And then just off we went. And, you know, my interest in the product, the current product has kind of ebbed and flowed. There was a little bit of a time frame, probably when I was in middle school where I didn't watch as much. And then it picked right back up in the 90s with the Monday Night Wars. And as I've gotten older, my interest has kind of gone up and down. But I got very caught up in the world that is professional wrestling. I think it represented a lot of things about society. I think what it was or is professional wrestling has played out in the real world and United Uh States politics, for sure. Fast forward to today, I just always thought it would be an interesting topic to talk about in an academic setting. Yeah, you did a course specifically about Undertaker. So why Undertaker? (laughs) So I wanted to do something in the world of sports, just like I did before. And my initial thought was actually to design a course around Brett Favre and the challenges he had as he got to the end of his career and, and really struggled to transition from professional football into life post-football. And I kept thinking about The Last Ride, which was the five-part documentary on The Undertaker that I loved watching. I thought it was a powerful story that wasn't necessarily about The Undertaker. It was about this man, Mark Calloway, who had spent the better part of his adult life playing this larger-than-life character who was invincible. And 
his struggle to walk away from that and, and walk off, quote unquote, into the sunset and what that meant, and the search of the perfect ending. Here I am, you know, at this late point in my career, and I'm wondering, am I gonna be able to hang with this young guy? That's a huge challenge to only work once a year and to try to have timing, cardio, have your gimmick. I mean, it, it, it's tough, but it is, it's my reality. I mean, that's where I'm at. At this point in my career, I can't work a full schedule. Mayor, I said it. And I just kept thinking about it, how I thought that was a perfect encapsulation of not only aging in our society, but how masculinity is defined, how those things play out in the world of professional wrestling. And that's kind of how it evolved. And the interesting thing is, I am a fan of The Undertaker, but I certainly wouldn't put him at the top of the list of professional wrestlers that I love. Hot take. Hot take, Samir. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> truly, it was really about his struggle. And, you know, ironically, I got more into the Undertaker character at the end because I thought they opened the door a little bit to the who he wasn't just a character. He was the man, Mark Calloway, playing this character. And, and, and then I got more into the, the backstory. So there are a lot of great wrestlers. And I can't think of when people do their like top fives or whatever. I think the conversation is the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. And I know like The Rock exists and Stone Cold exists and they are iconic. Like The Rock is like a superstar, yeah. Fast and Furious. But like as a wrestler, who would be more iconic than The Undertaker as like a figure? Weighing in at 320 pounds from Death Valley, I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner is now revealed. I never heard of oh, take oh. him. Holy cow. Look at the size of that. Check out them drumsticks, baby. 320 pounds, looks to be 6'9", 6'10", some of that neighborhood, man. 6'10", I don't know, it's hard to tell from here. Holy cow! To me, and me personally, the iconic figure in professional wrestling who represents the genre, who was this larger-than-life personality but was gritty and that you could connect with was Ric Flair. And I'm a Dusty fan, so we are at odds forever. It's funny you mentioned Dusty because I think when you think about feuds, the Dusty Rhodes-Ric Flair rivalry is the perfect representation of professional wrestling. The rich, well-to-do, cheat-to-win versus the everyman, working class, for the people, and different styles, different body types, different interviews, you know, like they, they just, they meshed so well. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times. And as it connects back, you know, full circle to The Undertaker, I think candidly that's part of the reason I never got into the character because it was just that, a character. And that's not to say Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes weren't characters, but they felt real. You don't see someone walking down the street and say, oh my gosh, that's The Undertaker. But you can say that about Dusty Rhodes. And those are the pieces that for me, the iconic figures are those like a Ric Flair or Dusty Rhodes. Did you ever see anything of Mark Calloway's before Undertaker? I sure did. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> I remember him well before The Undertaker. He was mean Mark Callis in uh, WCW. I remember he was uh, he was on the skyscrapers. He replaced Sid Vicious when Sid Vicious left, I believe, for the WWF and teamed with Dan Spivey. Then he was a singles competitor. I remember he wrestled Lex Luger in the Great American Bash 1990. So actually, when he came to the WWF in November of that year, I inst- I was like, oh, that's mean Mark Callis. You're much younger. So like, I wasn't thinking, oh, they repackaged this guy and he's this new guy. I just thought, oh, that's mean Mark Callis who's now playing this dead person. That, my friend, is the way to become immortal. Rest in peace. Uh, I know that it's like gimmicks and like finding your gimmick, but I think that he's also very emblematic of trying to find yourself in this industry specifically, but also I think wrestling is very cool in the sense that you can see people formulating their identity before you and like have their identity shift. And even like the undertaker coming out with like a big bike and no longer wearing like a hat and a cloak. I completely agree with you. You know, and to some degree, we all do that. We all play a gimmick. We all play a role, put on a suit, come to work, find our identity. We find success when we can kind of find that world where kind of your work life and your personal life are well connected. I think Mark Calloway found success because he stopped trying to figure out, hey, I got to do this in the ring and found his own identity. And I think it's cool to see his progression as a character and as an individual. And and I think that was what made his character special because he was different. I mean, going back to what we were talking about with Dusty Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes was all about the interview and would talk you into the arena Undertaker was so different and Undertaker started as a heel, you know, but people, I think, rallied around what you were talking about, which turned him to a baby face. And I think is where he spent most of his career. He portrayed so much without saying anything at all. Yeah. What is that song? You say it best when you say nothing at all, right? (laughs) That should have been the Undertaker. (laughs) Do a farewell tour to this beautiful ballad. Yeah, you say it best when you say nothing at all. Something tells me we wouldn't have been as successful in wrestling. (laughs) Hey, it's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, Mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at Podcast, or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. is the thing that is compelling to you about wrestling? Is it the narrative? Is it the performance? Is it the 
costumes. I just think when done right, there is nothing better than a really good wrestling storyline that is about a conflict between two characters that has verbal and physical parts of the conflict that ends with some sort of struggle in the ring with a clear victor whether that's in one match or a series of matches like i just love that (laughs) you know and and wrestlemania 28 is a great example of like the story that led to the rock versus john cena i got super into at that point i'm an adult i know this is all it's acting it's fake whatever you want to call it but you get into it because you could tell that these were two guys who felt like they were at the top of their game and they were better than the other one and so there was an element of reality in what they were saying to each other the story too but really the match the hell in the cell between the undertaker and triple h the way they incorporated elements of their careers and Shawn Michaels as the guest referee and that point where Shawn Michaels super kicked The Undertaker and you thought Triple H was going to end the streak. I can recall all of those moments because they just, they capture you no different than if you're watching a movie or television show that really you just can remember all the points because it taps into something. For me, it's, it's also about seeing people do things that I can't do. Like so much of this reminds me of like watching a magic show where I'm like, I know that it's an illusion and sleight of hand and all that stuff, but I also can't do any of this stuff. I was a nerdy Indian kid growing up. And so there was something cool about seeing these larger than life wrestlers who like said what they, how they felt and what they were going to do. And it almost in good and bad ways gave you something to kind of be like, gosh, I wish I, I had, you know, we talked about this in the course when we started talking about the genre of professional wrestling and its connectivity to some other forms of entertainment, they started to see it as a performance, you know, and there's beauty in the performance. And, and that was cool to see. It was fun to bring some of that into the academic forum and, and talk to students about characters and performance and aging and masculinity in this world. I've heard wrestlers speak, they talk about how addictive wrestling is, particularly at that level of having so many people be excited just to see you walk out. And how do you go home and like not do that anymore? I think a lot of it is like reckoning with no longer being seen as relevant. Not that you are irrelevant, but that at least within American culture that is like so geared towards youth, that once you kind of age out, having to understand where you fit And I think that Undertaker is a really good example of somebody dealing with how do I maintain relevancy and wrestlers in general of how do I maintain and how do I continue to exist as things shift and change. I mentioned Brett Favre. I think Brett Favre had challenges in walking away for those same reasons from the sport of football. Um, I'm really into sports, if you can't tell. So (laughs) I watched the the Last Dance, the Mm -hmm. documentary on my computer, saw that. I'm in the middle of watching the Joe Montana documentary that's on Peacock, which is very, very good. And it's at the stage of the documentary where they're talking about he's getting injured. He had some challenges and Bill Walsh, the coach, was trying to bring on Steve Young to replace him. 
the same thing, you know, like I built this, like this was a nothing town, nothing team. I brought it into relevancy and now the next person's up in line to keep us going. No, I'm going to hold on to my spot. I think we all struggle with that. And I love what you said. It's about relevancy, you know, taking age out of it. You feel relevant in a certain place, whether it's work or something personal. And if you feel like that's slipping away, that's hard. And sometimes you do everything you can to hold on to it full circle. I think that's what Undertaker did in his world of professional wrestling. It's not a fun pop culture narrative. It doesn't really like bring people into seats. And so when you had mentioned earlier, like Rocky, it got me thinking about wrestling movies that really borrowed how to film things in the ring, I think from Rocky, but it's, it's never about the aging out. It's about moving up into the world of wrestling. Like it's about gaining that relevancy. The only one that I can think of is The Wrestler by Darren Aronofsky and of like what happens when you're completely out of the system pretty much entirely. You hear them? This is right. No, Brandy. Brandy. As somebody like understanding all of the connections and relationships to wrestling and in your current position, do you think about wrestling as it applies to student life all the time? Like, are you sitting back in meetings going like, man, this is just like when Taker met up with Triple H. This is just between you and me. I love this question. So no, I I can honestly say I've never sat in a room and been like, man, this is just like WrestleMania. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever, when, yeah. But I'll think about 80s NWA wrestling and what was the four horsemen and what they represented. And you had like Ric Flair, who was the true leader of that group. And then you had Arn Anderson, who was kind of his bodyguard, and Tully Blanchard, who was kind of the, the next in line as the next Ric Flair. And then Ole Anderson, who's like the old guard, who was the, the anchor of the group. Because in several hours, I'm going to walk that out. Look at his only the nature boy can look. Oh, so fine. Part of the reason I think the Four Horsemen were such an amazing group is it represented something. There's always kind of a leader. There's always someone who's like the bodyguard of that leader. There's someone who's up and coming and, you know, is in the group but could fall out at any point. And then there's like kind of the established old hand who is there for kind of expert guidance. I've thought about that. I think about who gets over in a wrestling ring and like how akin to teaching that is of just like, I have to get them and I have to get them on my side and I have to know like what jokes to do, but it's not necessarily like I'm walking in trying to do like a rock-like monologue, nor do I think I could and be considered a good instructor if I called them all jabronis. (laughs) Maybe Maybe that's something to try and just work out. Undertaker, Mankind, Kane, and The Big Show. The Rock says you all four jabronis can go right down to the Tropicana Hotel. You find the absolute best slot machine you can find. You can't miss it. It's got a big Brahma bull on the front, and it says the People's Slot Machine. Ah, I saw that today. Well, one, I think we should be in more meetings together because we'd probably pull this out of each other. Nobody cares what you think. Yeah. Just just look at you and I'll be like, yes. But I I never thought of it until you just mentioned it. The concept of getting over, we do that every day. You try to get over with the certain group that you're with. You think about who else is over and how you can kind of connect or model 
the same behaviors or actions so that you can get over who's not over and why who's the baby face and who's the heel. Like, well, I think about that stuff all the time. How am yeah. I going to win over this room? How am I going to get buy-in? Yeah, absolutely. I think that plays out every day. I think a lot of my really best memories in my lifetime were connected to things that happened in professional wrestling or sports because it modeled or mirrored something that was larger, you know, kind of representative. I think as weird as this might sound to some people, there's a beauty in professional wrestling. Its beauty is its simplicity. I think there's beauty in the fact that my father, when he immigrated to this country and was looking for like Americana or, or you know, representation started watching pro wrestling. That's pretty cool, you know, and, and generations, like my kids aren't into professional wrestling, but know what wrestling is. We'll sit down from time to time and watch with me. Like there's a story or kind of a deeper meaning behind all that. And even The Undertaker, who is this kind of weird out of this universe character, there was something simple about what he presented. Well, I appreciate you talking with me about wrestling and Undertaker and all your hot takes <laughs> that I'm sure we will take out of context and put on wrestling yeah. Twitter and let you deal with the, the backlash. Yeah. Hey, what, whatever works. This was fun. I'd love to do it again. Pop the Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Moranz-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We're talking about practice, man.